Uh, good morning. Three weeks ago, Mario stood right here on this stage and announced a new series of spending someone else's money. And he made it clear that it was not going to be a seven-week series on fundraising and tithing to the church, but that it was going to be a series on stewardship of life. So that's what this is. It's a stewardship of money, it's stewardship of stuff, stewardship of our time, our abilities, our, our relationships like friends and, and spouse and children, all of that. But he did say on week three of the series that it would be about giving money to the church. He even announced it in the most unusual way I've ever heard it announced from a pastor. He said that if you would have an issue sitting through a sermon about giving money to the church, don't come. <laughs> well, it's the third week. It's May 15th. It's that week of giving money to the church. And so I will say that y'all being here today means that you are the group of people who can handle such a sermon or you're willing to try and handle such a sermon. And right now I realize that some of you might be like, oh my goodness, I forgot about the announcement. Man. And in the spirit of grace, and in permission from Mario, who's already said you can skip, I will give you 30 seconds <laughs> to grab your stuff and head on out of here. And God willing, we will see you next week. Going, going. Someone left last time when I said that, first service. I think it was the restroom. But. Uh, or maybe you are the person who was not present two weeks ago and you didn't hear the announcement. And if that's you, well, then we are going to mark that as the providence of God. Like, you are supposed to hear that and be here today. So stay seated, and this is what we are talking about. And seriously, I want to say, and I've already met people who are here for the first time this Sunday, first time ever being at Good News, I promise that preaching a sermon about giving money to the church is a rarity at Good News. As a matter of fact, I was curious myself about how rare it really is. So this past week, I went to the church's website, to the sermon archive, and I checked. I went all the way back to November 6, 2011. That's the earliest recorded sermons that I could find. So basically, anything and everything that has been preached during the existence of good news has been recorded. And are you ready for this? I found three preached sermons about what we're going to talk about today in the entire history of the church. Three times. That sounds right. I get a witness. So that's approximately some 550-ish sermons that have been preached in almost 11 years, and today marks the fourth time, in my first time ever, well, counting the 915, this makes my second time, ever preaching on this topic. So, wow, I mean, if you really think about it, after hearing these facts, don't you feel an incredible sense and awe of appreciation of being an attender? At such a rare occasion as this, you don't have to endure a sermon about giving to the church. You get to enjoy it. Put your keys back in your pocket, put your purse down, grab your Bible, and let's look at this. This is the one week out of seven weeks that you probably won't hear again for another two years that's going to sound like fundraising for the church. Here it comes. I've been here at Good News now for 15 months. This is the first time that this topic has come up. 
And I promise you that if you stick around for the next few years, you will see this to be true for yourself, that we just don't talk about money giving to the church very much around here. I mean, four times in nearly 11 years, that's like what? Two and a half years it comes around. Now, I do realize that in a room this size that there are people who have been hurt, there are loved ones who have been taken advantage of by church organizations, who have had just sickening, unethical practices of handling funds, which indeed is so, so sad. I, I understand that there is a real concern for some people, a real, genuine concern about giving money to the church because of past experiences. Very much aware of that. And so I want to tell you, I, I want to be extremely careful, extremely accurate, and sensitive about the topic of giving money to the church. And I want you to know that it is coming from the Bible. Like, this is not just Doug's capital campaign program up here. Last week's sermon sets up this week's sermon. Last week was about investing. Invest today for tomorrow in great stewardship of spending someone else's money, investing today for things to come in the future. And one of the ways a believer does that is by giving to the local church, specifically giving to Good News Church. And before I talk about what giving looks like, I want to spend some time talking about a word that is often associated with giving money to the church. And that's the word tithe or tithing. Ever heard of it? It's definitely a word that's found in the Bible. Now brace yourself for this upcoming sentence. Well, some of you will be very much on board with it. Some of you might gasp at the thought of it. There might be some here that are just surprised to hear it. It's a sentence that is debated, heavily debated. So I might as well go ahead and say it now. Here's my email address if you would like to talk about it more. It's Doug at goodnewsocala.com. Uh, I finished this first service. I went over to my office. I turned the corner, and there's this long line in front of my office. And I thought, oh, wow. They were just picking up kids from Kids Zone. <laughs> However, even if you don't agree with the sentence, even if you gasp and nearly pass out, if you're shocked, if you're surprised to hear it, let me say that this sentence does not divide the unity of fellowship one with another. Like, you will not need to go find a new church, and like, I will not be fired for this sentence. That's important as well. Now, that's about as much buildup as I can do. Do you want to hear the sentence? Yes. Tithing is not required or even encouraged for believers in Jesus Christ. Ooh, there's a gasp and an amen. We got a split crowd. Tithing is not required or even encouraged for believers in Jesus Christ. I will say, at the end of the first service, I had a couple come to me and say, Doug, you made something made sense to me that I struggled with for 25 years. Well, I, I hope that might happen again today. But, a couple of things. One, such a sentence needs to be fully explained. I will try to do my best to do that today, but remember my first slash second time preaching this. And two, Mario and I agree on this. So no one needs to be wondering 
<gasps> Did Mario know Doug was going to say, don't tithe to the church? Like, I saw him go off that closet. Is there going to be a long pole with a hook and just snatch Doug off the stage for that kind of a statement? No. This is not a major doctrinal issue, but it is a touchy issue for some. So what is a tithe? Literally, it's a tenth. It means to give 10%. So let me start by saying that if you came up to me and said, I give 10% of my income to the church, I would say, "Woo, great job. I'd be excited about that. If you gave 12%, 15%, 20%, I'd really be excited about that. And let me also say that if you gave 5% or 8%, that that would be great just as well. So wait, Doug. Are you saying I could give less than 10% of my income and that would be okay? Yes. Because really what matters is not the percentage, but the attitude behind the giving. So when I say tithing is not required or even encouraged for believers in Jesus Christ, I mean that if a person is tithing, giving 10% of their income to the church because of the Old Testament law, that kind of required giving is not an attitude that's seen at all. It's not taught at all in the New Testament. The Old Testament law required the Jews to give 10% to the Levites. They were the one tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel who did not get a land inheritance. And so the other 11 tribes were commanded, required by law, to give the Levites 10% of their income. Let me show it to you through the Old Testament. Leviticus 27, starting verse 30. Every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil, or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tenth animal from the herd or flock, which passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. These are the commandments, verse 34, that the Lord gave Moses for who? The Israelites on Mount Sinai. Numbers 18, 21 through 28. Look, I have given the Levites every tenth in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work they do, the work of the tent of meeting, the Israelites must never again from let me say it again the Israelites must never again come near the tent of meeting or they will incur guilt and die the Levites will do the work of the tent of meeting and they will bear the consequences of their sin the Levites will not receive an inheritance among the Israelites this is a permanent statue throughout your generations and look at verse 24 for i have given them the tenth that Israelites that the Israelites present to the Lord as a contribution for their inheritance. This is why I told them that they would not receive an inheritance among the Israelites. And it just keeps going all throughout the Old Testament. Nehemiah 10.38, a priest of Aaronitic descent must accompany the Levites. When they collect the tenth and the Levites must be, take a tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury in the house of our God. From Leviticus to Malachi, all throughout, we see this pattern of tithing that was required, mandated by Israel. So many verses are there. At the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, the last book of the Bible there, there even goes on to say that if an Israelite would refuse to give this, there was a curse coming. And if they gave, there would be a blessing to come. Look at it, verse 8 through 10 of Malachi 3. Will a man rob from God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of the tenth 
and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. The Old Testament law was for the Jews, the Israelites. As a matter of fact, if you do a hard, in-depth study of tithing requirements for Israel, you're going to find that they gave far more than 10%. Really, they gave more like 23%. 10% to the Levites, 10% to religious celebrations, and 3% to the poor. So if you are a die-hard tithe person here today, and you're given 10%, you're behind 13% with interest. Now, I grew up in a home that practiced 10% tithing and offerings. If I mowed the neighbor's lawn for 15 bucks, it was expected that a buck 50 was going to be in that plate when it was passed. I am so glad my parents were on the 10% tithe. If it was 23, can you imagine the brain-stretching math that you would have to do for that? That's $3.45. I saw some of y'all trying to figure that out. But honestly, it wasn't until I became a parent and that my perception of tithing started to change. With our first couple of kids, I would encourage them to tithe, but I found myself over and over again being much more concerned about why they tithe and how they tithe rather than the percentage that they gave. And that's when I began to study and to dig into this and look at, oh, let me look at this. And I found out that tithing of the Old Testament and giving in the New Testament aren't the same thing at all. Now, I will say there does seem to be some similarities between the Old Testament tithing and New Testament giving. Both give to the Lord's work. Both give to the poor. And both give to a group of people like Levites in the Old Testament and pastors and church staff in the New Testament. But nowhere can you find in the New Testament church that's required to give the same way as the nation of Israel was to give. The 10% model is just not found in the New Testament. And yet, if I took a survey today, I bet there's a lot of people who still think it's a very popular belief that you just give 10%. But we don't live under the requirements of the Old Testament law. When Jesus came died on the cross and rose again, all the requirements of the Old Testament law are fulfilled in him. And now we live under a different law. It's called the law of Christ. I'm going to show it to you in a little bit. But giving to the church is not so much about the practice of tithing and keeping a bunch of rules as it is about the attitude of a person's hearts. And so the key to understanding the relationship between the Christian and, and the law is knowing that the Old Testament law was given to the nation of Israel, not to Christians. Some of the laws were to reveal to the Israelites how to obey and please God, like the Ten Commandments. Some of the laws were to show the Israelites how to worship God and to atone or reconcile for their sin, like the practice of animal sacrifices. Some of the laws were intended to make the Israelites distinct from all the other nations, like rules about the food they could eat, clothes that they had to wear, male circumcision. 
but none of the Old Testament law is binding on Christians. Now, I will say, if, you sound, if that sounds like, oh, we get a pass, I will say the law of Christ ups the Old Testament law. Like, the Old Testament law said, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus comes and says, if you have hatred towards a person, it's like you have murdered them. That's like one-upped. The Old Testament law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus comes along and says, if you even think in impure ways, it's like you have committed adultery. The law of Christ is a step up. Romans 10, 14. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians 3, 23 through 25. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I want us to be clear that we are not just shoving the Old Testament law under the rug and saying, oh, it's outdated and it's not useful for today. That's not true at all. The Old Testament still has a great purpose. The Old Testament law is still to convict people, to convict us of our inability to keep all of these laws and to point us to Jesus as our Savior. That's a great point of the law. The principles of the Old Testament law are still applied to Christian living. And they come underneath the law of Christ. The 613 Old Testament Jewish laws have been replaced by two that Jesus said. And they're found in Matthew 22. And I want you to see it. Verse 37, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at what verse 40 says. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. So, so we no longer sacrifice, we no, we no longer love God by sacrificing animals. But as believers, we are still called to love God by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do you see that? This is living under the law of Christ by applying the Old Testament law. But it's an attitude of the heart. Circumcision. Jewish Old Testament law says all Jewish men are to be circumcised. But we have already seen from the Life of Paul series that we are not required to be circumcised to be saved. <laughs> and when we return to this series in June... The first sermon back is going to be all about circumcision. I'm not making this up. June 19th, Father's Day. Mark your calendars. You're going to want to be here. Let's see how Mario spends this one. But seriously, living under the law of Christ, believers 
all have circumcision of heart through the Holy Spirit. Romans 2, 29. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who was one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. This is living under the law of Christ by applying the principles of the Old Testament law. True spiritual circumcision is a male and female thing because it's a matter of the heart. And so when it comes to tithing, just like sacrifice to animals, just like male circumcision, we take the Old Testament principles of the law and we apply them under the law of Christ. It's all a matter of the heart. As a matter of fact, tithing didn't begin in the Old Testament with the law. It even existed before that. Did you know that? Okay, some of you did. Here's for the rest of you. Hundreds of years before it became part of the required Jewish law, it was first seen in the Bible, early in the Bible, as an act of generosity and thankfulness. It's an expression of thanks. The first place it's mentioned is Genesis 14, when Abram, that's Abraham before he was Abraham, he gave a tenth of his goods that he had just collected, that he had just took from a battle of defeating five kings. That king had captured his nephew Lot and many other people. And at the end of it, he gives a tenth to King Melchizedek. Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Read it for yourself. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High creator of the heaven and earth. And I give praise to you, God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave a tenth of everything he had. He gave a tithe. And the next time we see the word tithe mentioned is 14 chapters later, Genesis 28. Jacob is traveling along the way. He has, it gets nighttime and he's getting ready to have a, he's going to bed, pulls up a rock for a pillow. And this is what happens. Genesis 28, he dreamed a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching heaven and God's angels going up and down on it. And Yahweh was standing there beside him saying, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land that you are now sleeping on. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Whoa, that's a dream. Look what happens when Jacob woke up, verse 16, from his sleep. He said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and he set it up as a marker. He poured oil on the top of it and he named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. I don't know if you've ever had a dream like that or not, 
But after Jacob did, he made a vow. He took, made a promise to give a tenth of everything that God would give to him and give it back to God. Now I want you to notice two things about this. Neither Abraham or Jacob were required to give this tithe. They weren't commanded to do this. They gave it on their own. They knew nothing of Old Testament Jewish law. It didn't exist. And each of their tithes seems to be very much different. Abraham's gift seems to be a one-time 10% tithe. There's nothing to suggest that he just got in a regular pattern of giving back to the king this way. But Jacob's giving of a tenth, he, he clearly said, I will give you a tenth out of gratitude and thankfulness of everything that you give to me. But it wasn't required to do this. Other than the personal vow that he made between him and God. He and God. And second thing I think it's very important for us to be careful here is that this is where the dangerous idea comes that we give 10% to God and then 90% is mine. And that is not the case. We've already taken the first two weeks of the series to look at everything that there is belongs to God, and he gives everything. He gives it to each person. Some get a lot, some get a less. But everything he gives to each person, that person is the steward. That person is responsible for how 100% of the money and the stuff and the time and the talents gets used. It is never, God, here's your 10%. And here's my 90%. Is not what we see at all. So, at the beginning of the Bible, I want you to see that tithing is present. By giving a one-time Abraham gift, and by giving, here we see Jacob has a pattern of giving a tenth. But neither example is a command for all Christians everywhere to tithe. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, tithing is present as in required by law for Israel to give 10% and more to the Levites. And when we come to the New Testament, the new covenant, the better covenant because of better promises, tithing, just like the rest of the Old Testament Jewish commands, are no longer the laws of the land. The law of Christ. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, Love your neighbor as yourself. It has replaced that law. And since the resurrection of Christ, since the start of the church, Christians are to give to the church in a way that looks like we really do love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And you might be thinking, what does that kind of giving look like? Well, we can see some examples of it. Start in Acts 2, verses 43 through 47. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Giving a required tithe has been replaced with giving generous offerings. That is motivated by loving God, loving each other. And because of that kind of love, you see this? Other people were getting saved. 
Sounds like they had a church motto of love God, love each other, and love those who don't know God yet. Maybe we are onto something here at Good News. That's exactly what was happening in Acts 2. Don't miss this. The people who were being added to the church were, yes, definitely by the Lord. And as a result of generous giving of money to the church. So it seems obvious to say that if you like what you see happening here at Good News, people loving God, people loving each other, helping each other, people being baptized like today, people being saved, then give generously. Give to the church in a way that we can make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That's fundraising for the church, point one. Give generously. Fundraising for the church, point two. Give willingly and sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Getting a little quiet on me. You're with me? Okay, I know there's giving. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth about collecting funds for a group that was in great need. And he was speaking to this church about another group, church people, who had far less things than the people here in Corinth. And here's what, we, here's what he says to them. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's talking about these churches here in Macedonia. For in their severe test of affliction, mm, that doesn't sound good, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. They gave despite their own personal hardships, severe affliction, extreme poverty. And then what blows me away is verses 4 and 5 that follow. It says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not what we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. People who have Barely anything are begging to give what they have away? That seems to be a different attitude than 2022. They gave not under the law of tithing. They gave of their own accord. But do you see what their accord was fixed on? It was fixed on their love for the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They loved God with their heart, soul, and mind. This is the attitude of giving that is seen in the New Testament churches. And here's the last one. Fundraising for the church, point three. Give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Paul, again, he's still speaking to the church at Corinth. He's still working it up, saying, hey, you need to give to this. You need to give this. And then he says, remember this. The person who spoke so sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person 
should do as he has decided in his heart. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul does not say to give a tithe. He does not say to give a percentage. He doesn't even command them to give. He just appeals to their heart based on their love for God. Cheerful giving can only come from an attitude of loving God with your heart, soul, and mind. Otherwise, that giving is going to be so sparingly, so reluctant, so tight-fisted, like, here you go, God. Man, that is a Debbie Downer way to give. And I am sorry if your name is Debbie. Cheerful giving is glad to give, excited to give. And there's an expectation that though God doesn't need your money, which is really his money anyway, there's an expectation that he is going to use it in magnificent ways. When you give, give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. These are the dominating themes. These are the dominating ways that we see in the New Testament churches of an attitude of giving. And so whether you are convicted to tithe or just a giver to the church, give in a way that is generous, willing, sacrificial, and cheerful. You probably won't hear this kind of sermon again for another two and a half years. Ask yourself, does your giving to the church match the kind of attitudes described in these New Testament churches. Let's pray. Father, it's just a great question for, for me to ask, and, and I believe every person here. And now I would ask that your spirit would, would, would just move into the hearts of people and us, all of us. Let us accurately, truthfully examine what is my attitude of giving to your church. I thank you for these helpful passages that we see in the early church. It certainly seems that we are part of the same church founded in Jesus Christ and that these principles are true for us today. I thank you for the Old Testament law that gives us great principles to live by. Father, as we consider how we will spend someone else's money, your money, let us do it with a heart, with an attitude being generous and willing and sacrificial and cheerful. I thank you for how the elders at Good News here, how they deliberately, carefully, discerningly take the monies that are received and invest them into now 
and tomorrow, and God willing, for years to come. We are blessed to have great givers here at Good News. But our praise goes to you, Father, because you are the one who has showed to them what it looks like to love you with heart, soul, and mind. And I humbly ask that you would increase that in me, in us, for the good of your people and for the glory of your son Jesus. Lord, let the funds that you give to us make the name of Jesus famous in our Ocala community and all the areas that we go and help support. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.